Well, join me in the book of Luke chapter 1, and, and we've been kind of going through uh, Zechariah's prayer, his song, uh, as he was re- regained the ability of speech from the, the Lord in Luke chapter 1. And <clears throat> we'll begin uh, reading in... Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 63. And he, he asked for a writing table, Zacharias did, and he wrote saying, his name is John, his son that was born. Uh, what a picture we have in Zacharias. You know, the, the scripture said that both him and his wife were righteous before God. They were, they were innocent before God. And we, we know that there's only one way that happened. And yet, in the flesh, he just... The Lord revealed to him that you're going to have a son that's going to be my messenger, that's going to prepare the way of the Lord, that's going to come and be born here. And he just couldn't reconcile the fleshly part of him with that. And boy, you know, we just, as even regenerated people, we have trouble with that. Well, God said, I sure don't see how that's going to happen. And and he he just didn't believe it, and so the the angel said, "Well, since you don't believe what I just told you, you'll just not be able to hear or speak until these things come to pass." And that's what happened here, as we got to this portion of scripture here, where where his mouth was opened, and uh, when he when he when he said, "Thou shalt call his name John," uh, his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake. And praise God. The first thing came out of his mouth was he had all that time to think about God and think about the prophecies that he knew and what the Lord had revealed to him. And and he says, it's here. Hallelujah. We've waited all this time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come, thousands of years. It's been prophesied of David, the Psalms, the law, Moses all prophesied that he would come and and as I speak right now, he, he is here. <clears throat> and he wasn't born yet, but he was there. <clears throat> his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spake and praised God and fear came all of that dwelt around about them and these sayings were noised abroad through throughout all the hill country of Judea and all they that heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And that was our subject last week, the visit. And this week is from verse 69, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenants, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all 
the days of our life. Boy, there's just a there's just a message in every sentence from here on out, <laughs> as there has been uh, uh, <clears throat> the oath that he swore to Abraham, uh, <clears throat> amplified in Hebrews. Uh, he he swore by, by two immutable things. <clears throat> Hebrews uh, chapter six verse eighteen. <clears throat> so. Um, anyway, today we're concerned with this and the horn of salvation and what what exactly that means. And uh, so from Luke chapter 1, verse 69, he hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Certainly he knew about what he was talking about there. Even though the Lord hadn't wasn't yet born, <clears throat> it was prophesied of and reported that the the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. The Messiah was going to come, and uh, if you recall from our uh, time in Romans, back in two thousand seventeen, chapter one, verse three, <clears throat> talking about the gospel which he promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David <clears throat> according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. So <clears throat> uh, it was a fact that was just well known. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> this horn of, he calls him this, the horn of salvation, and we're going to just kind of look at that a little bit today and see what the roots of that are. And and uh, the the horn is kind of a symbol of power, and and uh, it's used throughout the Old Testament and back uh, in Genesis and Exodus, and uh, it's a descriptive word used here, and uh, it's kind of alluded to here in this chapter one, verse sixty-nine, in. Uh, reference to Psalm 18. If you turn over to Psalm 18 quickly the, this morning, <clears throat> in Psalm 18, verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Isn't that what, isn't that what Zacharias said? Praise, he praised God. And uh, what better praise could you give than just to say, I love you. And that only comes from one thing, a revelation of Christ in, in you. <clears throat> we love him because he first loved us. And when we come to a realization of that, we say, thank you, Lord. We love you. Uh, boy, I just we just miss Calvin so much because every time he prayed, he just said he he just summed it all up. He just said, "Lord, we just love you." <laughs> just it just boils down to that, and it's either that or it's nothing. Uh, it can't be uh, two ways, and <clears throat> so Paul or. or David said, I, lo I love thee, O Lord, my strength. 
He'd been camped out in the caves and the mountains and the rocks, and they'd been trying to hunt him down and kill him. And the Lord protected him, delivered him. He said, I'm here in the rocks, but the Lord is my rock. I'm here in a cave, but the Lord is my fortress. I'm hiding out, but the Lord is my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. All these things that he describes the Lord, these descriptive words, the rock, a foundation, a solid base, an immovable, immutable, unchangeable base. The the rock, ever the same through time. He's, he's my fortress. He's a stronghold, a defense against all enemies. In Romans chapter eight, and well, we go we go there quite a bit of the time, but it's as as Paul said that in chapter one, the Savior is going to come out of the house of David. Now he says, in regards to the Lord being our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our our, our high tower. If if that's on our side, what can go against us? <laughs> if if the Lord is with us, who could be against us? What shall we say to these things? If if he did all those things that we read about in Romans eight, twenty eight and twenty nine and thirty, working all things for good to to those that love the Lord who are called according to his purpose, and we just mentioned that the only reason we love him is because it's been revealed to us that he loved us first. And uh, <clears throat> we believe that. And uh, he said, what should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And that's the key to, to everything. How shall he not with us, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? We're, we're more than conquerors. Through Christ, and and that's what David was saying. He's my fortress, my my rock, my deliverer, one who one who carries me away to safety. Who that word means to provide an escape. <clears throat> my God, and that term that he used, my God, that mean, he he recognized God as Almighty in that term. And it doesn't really appear that way in the English translation. But if you if you read that in the the Hebrew text it would say, <clears throat> He is my El, my my Almighty. <clears throat> uh, I, I was thinking of the, there's a hymn Mike often has us sing <clears throat> out of the Green Book when I can read my title clear. <laughs> it's my God, my all, it says in there. My God, my heaven, my all. And, and that's the way David looked at him. My strength, the one who, <clears throat> the one who places me in a con, confined area of safety in himself. That's kind of what that word means. Uh, 
hedged about, defensible, not of my own strength, but he is the deliverer. My, my strength is solely in him. Isn't that what we determine that faith is just total reliance on Christ for salvation, not in anything else? <clears throat> in him only I trust. There's another hymn we sing. It's funny how a lot of these hymns that we love are just based on Bible truth, scriptures. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on, on Jesus' name. On, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. He's my rock. <clears throat> my buckler, it's just another word for a shield and protection. <clears throat> and then he says, and he kind of sums it all up in this one descriptive analogy. He says, he's the horn of my salvation. <clears throat> the symbol of power that sums up all these descriptive terms that were previously cited in this Psalm 18. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and who my, my buckler, the, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. He, he just attributes everything to God because he knows that's where it comes from and and he he puts that into descriptive words <clears throat> horn uh, it, <clears throat> we're we're pretty familiar with horn the <clears throat> it's the shape of one and the purpose of it is to uh, in 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 used in uh, music or that kind of uh verbal thing it it's a, it amplifies <clears throat> and it came to be used later on as a term of abundance and plenty it takes something uh you're all who knows what the horn of cornucopia is at thanksgiving you always have these images of the horn of cornucopia it's just a it's just a manifestation of a a ram or a goat's horn <clears throat> with all these wonderful things spilling out of it and it starts out small and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It, it's just a manifestation of grace and power. <clears throat> it's just a manifestation that even though it starts, it seems like it starts out small, it, it just grows and grows and grows. Where, where grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, it's just a picture of, of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> In the Old Testament, we find also in the psalm, in the 132nd psalm, the, the use of the horn, it's described as budding uh, in the 132nd psalm, and it's descriptive of the Lord announcing that from the house of David, God would make the horn of David to bud, to bring forth, to bring forth the Savior, which is Emmanuel, our Lord, our God is with us. The Lord, in Psalm 132, verse 11, The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. He swore by two immutable things in which it was impossible for him to lie. The, the covenant of grace. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. And if thy child will, or thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, teach them in their heart, I shall 
Teach them their children shall also sit upon the throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread, the the bread of life. I will clothe her as priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. And there will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. So I take you back to Luke chapter 1 verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began. In Psalm 75, and I was talking to Norman about this, you know how religion always tries to take the <clears throat> the truth and turn it wrong side out and and mess with it <clears throat> the, the in our natural state we're, we're just we just can't deal with it <clears throat> uh, and it says in psalm 75 that uh, is used to declare that the <clears throat> the power of the wicked will be eliminated, but the ho- the horn <clears throat> or power of the righteous, which is Christ our Lord, will be exalted. Psalm seventy five ten. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off. All the things that they substitute for the gospel, all the things that they substitute for the Almighty, all the things that they substitute for Christ. Those are going to be cut off. They're no, they're of no value. They're, they are no power. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Christ is going to be exalted. He is going to be raised up and praised because only, only He is our salvation. <clears throat> and <clears throat> we find it used in a kind of a false uh, imitation uh, fashion of prophecy back in... First Kings, uh, chapter twenty-two, and <clears throat> uh, I don't want to read that whole chapter, but the, they're kind of having war with Syria, and the kings of Israel and Judah are kind of trying to get together, and and the the king of Israel says, "Well, I'd like to go to war with them, but I don't know how it's going to work out," and and so they've got a bunch of prophets there that are phonies. The very ones that Norm's always telling us about that are <clears throat> making a mockery out of the sacrifices and they're making a mockery out of the gospel and they're making a mockery out of God. And and so the king says, well, let's have a prophet tell us whether we're going to be successful if we go against Syria or not. So they bring out this prophet Zedekiah, the son of Chenaeah, and <clears throat> and. He says, well, I have to go prophesy, and the, and the king wants to whip up on Syria really bad, so I have to, being a yes man, I have to kind of provide that for him. <laughs> so he makes up a couple of horns of iron as a symbol of power. And like, you know, the prophets are always saying, well, there'll be a horn of this and a horn of that, and, and this horn will slay that horn. And, and so the horns are 
kind of used in that way in the prophets. And so he makes two horns of iron, man-made horns. And he says, Thus saith the Lord, with these shalt thou push the Syrians. The horns as a, a, a the animals use those horns to push with. He's that until thou have con- consumed them. He says, you, these horns represent you and you're powerful and you'll use these horns to go against this, the uh, Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And, and all the prophets, there was a bunch of 400 other prophets, some big number, and they said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Zedekiah, <laughs> we're going with him. All the prophets prophesied so saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. Well, then he says, he wasn't really confident in that because he knew they were shaming fakers, you know, and they were just telling him what he wanted to hear. And he says, well, isn't there a real, like a real man of God around that can tell me what's going on? And so he sent for this real prophet, and, and they said, well, we got this guy. And he says, well, not him. He hates me. And he's always prophesying bad stuff against me, which always comes true. So I don't want him. But he was the one that came. And, and of course, uh, if you go to read the end of that story, uh, he goes with the fake prophets and they go against in this. Remember the story where the, the bowman shot a peradventure into the air with an arrow and it landed between the armor of the king of Israel and smote him and just as the prophet said it was but uh, <clears throat> but these horns used in a false way to promote themselves and and not used in the connection of what they were originally made at <clears throat> um, so <clears throat> if we go back to Exodus, we find uh, uh some symbolism in in horns because the the altar in Exodus 27 the altar was made of wood shittim wood in Exodus 27 1 thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood five cubits long and five cubits broad and the altar shall be four square and the height thereof shall be three cubits and thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof his horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. <clears throat> now, the, the altar kind of pictures humanity or, or nature, unregenerate nature, wood. It's, it's not very stu- tough and prone to fail. And You overlay it with brass, and brass usually pictures judgment when it's applied spiritually and in the Bible. <clears throat> and so you have this picture of man and judgment over it. And these these horns, these corners of the altar that hold it up, <clears throat> and these horns, they, they look like a horn kind of sticking up, covered with brass. And, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and it's just so typical that we find, every time we find a, a scripture that's talking about wrath and judgment with God, the gospel's hooked right to it. There's always hope. There's always good news. 
the brass that typical of justice completely covering the the horns and the wood now we come to the the mercy and grace of the Lord our God in satisfying the justice and righteousness of God against sin he said the priest will come in and he will slay the sacrifice and he will take blood on his finger and he will put it on the horns of the altar. So isn't that a good, a good analogy, a good metaphor, a good picture? Here we have fallen man and we have the brass of judgment upon him and yet here is the blood put upon that judgment that satisfies it. The, and when they made that sin offering, they poured that blood on those and they poured it on the altar. <clears throat> and the altar was designated, the, the horns of the altar were designated as a place for refuge. <clears throat> In Saul, or Exodus 21, 13, if a man, uh, he's talking about these judgments that if you do this kind of crime, here's what to expect. And so he gets down to, if a person is killed, if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Kind of like the cities of refuge. Well, here it was the horns of the altar. And it says in verse 14, but if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, trickery, deceit, fakeness, if he, if he slays him with guile, then thou shalt take him from the altar that he may die. As long as he held on to the altar, he was offered safety, but if he was lying and full of deceit, and <clears throat> they, they could take him away from that and, and slay him. And uh, <clears throat> uh, We have an example of that in First Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 50. <clears throat> Adonijah, you remember Adonijah? He was the fourth son of David. And his other three brothers had died. Absalom and I don't remember their other names, but it was down to him and Solomon. Solomon by Bathsheba, Adonijah by another mother. And Adonijah said, I want to be king. He pronounced himself king. And Bathsheba said, Solomon, you promised Solomon would be the king. David didn't know anything about it. He's dying in his bed. And, and, and so David says, I, am, I now pronounce Solomon king, and he is on the throne. Well, then Adonijah says, oh, I'm in trouble now. I've usurped the, the, the throne and now my brother's on the throne and my life isn't worth a plugged nickel. <clears throat> and Adonijah feared because of Solomon arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. <laughs> and he would not let go. <clears throat> and it was told Solomon saying in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 51, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him his 
fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and he said, Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. So he filled out the form. (laughs) He said, I believe. I said the prayer. I held on to the horns of the altar. But in his heart, he was, I'm, I'm going to be king. <laughs> in his heart, he was still usurping the throne. <clears throat> he just said what was necessary to get him past the moment. And then that's a lot like religion. Well, I need to do something. I'm going to fill out this form. I'm going to sign this or come down and repeat after me. I swear I'll I'll be obedient to the throne. And then he goes right to Bathsheba and says, Oh, by the way, uh, how about if you uh, give me the widow of Absalom to be my wife? Well, that was just saying that he was el- going to be the elder brother that was the inheritance fell to, and he should be inheriting the throne as well. It was just a form of guile and deceit, just what it said in Exodus chapter 27. <clears throat> he planned his, to overthrow his brother with guile and deceit. First Kings 2, chapter 2, verse 24, And there now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which has established me, and set me on the throne of David my father, who hath made me in house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. <clears throat> so you, the moral, I guess, of this story is you can't go clinging on to the horns of the altar in a deceitful way and expect God to be... <laughs> say, well, I know you said the prayer, I know you said the words, but you have not had Jesus revealed to you. You have, you have not been regenerated. You just are still in your own righteousness, in your own guile. <clears throat> and another guy in Second Kings there, Joab, he was one that kind of was a henchman for, <clears throat> for Adonijah and built him up with the army and everything. <clears throat> he tried that ploy too, but nobody was buying it. <laughs> so... <laughs> For him too, so uh, so you can't misapply the blood of the Savior. You can't just say the words and expect mercy. <clears throat> Exodus twenty nine twelve says, "Thou shalt take the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger, and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar." Leviticus four twenty five: The priest shall take the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. Interestingly, uh, also, there's another psalm. In Psalm 118, verse 27, it says, God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. That's just a picture of Christ being bound by the oath of the covenant. 
it's just a metaphor for that. It's not like he had to be physically tied because they didn't have to drag him there and tie him up so he wouldn't escape because he didn't want to do that. But he was bound by his oath, his covenant, his blood. I think there's a hymn about that too. His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. (laughs) Uh, So, it's just a picture of the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, symbolically bound to the altar by the cords of the oath of the covenant of grace. And when the sacrifice is no longer pictured the true nature and scope of the sacrifice of the Son of God, then for them, the symbol of that power is cut off. In Amos chapter 3, verse 14, in that day I shall visit, the. there's that visit word, and here it's not used in a good sense. For <laughs> Remember how we said it could be used in various ways. I will visit my wrath upon them and that kind of thing. Or I will visit them with grace. He says, I'll visit the transgressions of Israel upon him. I will also visit the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. <clears throat> because they did not acknowledge Jesus the the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. They took those lame and halt and awful things that they couldn't sell in the marketplace and said, well, let's just offer these up instead. And we don't even have a right concept of God. They're always worshiping idols and stuff. You're not going to have a symbol of the grace of God having mercy If you, if you have no understanding at all of the whole thing. Jeremiah 17.1 The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. It, that just, that, that's just pretty descriptive there. And with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the ho- uh, table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Guile and deceit in the gospel. Cut off. <clears throat> Hebrews 8 verse 9 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. The horns of their altar is cut off. <clears throat> and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now John's having this vision from this revelation of Jesus Christ. And he hears a voice, and that voice is from Christ. It's, and it's a voice from the, the four horns of the altar, the, the four corners of brass that were covered with that blood of that sin offering, which is before God. <clears throat> The sixth angel sounded, and John saith, he heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And Hawker said, well, this could be no other than Christ that John heard, for the golden altar is the propitiary or the mercy seat for intercession. So that a voice from there must have been Jesus speaking, because he is the only mediator and high priest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And <clears throat> so the kind of the one of the things that I wanted to bring out today, he's raised a, a horn of salvation, a mighty power of salvation, and there's no other name given whereby we must be saved. And <clears throat> it's just so important to realize that no matter where you go in the scripture that you look at a place where God is judging sin, the gospel is just right there next to it, right with it. He, he, never, he never takes us to a place where there's just judgment, but there's a picture of grace accompanying it. And <clears throat> so to those that would not hold out any hope, uh, Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me. We will if if he makes us <laughs> by his grace. That uh, we just uh, would try to manufacture our own, our own horns if it was just strictly left up to us. So we'll stop there. We've gone a little bit over time, but uh, anyway, I wanted to. That, I thought that was such an important thing that we cover that next time. Uh, I think we're going to talk about the day spring from on high, from Luke uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 78 and 79. So thank you for your attention. As always, be free.